Welcome to Welcome to the Gun Show. I'm joined by Garrett. Hey, everybody. And Derek. Diplomatic immunity for American <laughs> listeners. <laughs> and we'd like to say a big welcome to our guest tonight, um, John Hauptman, who is the owner and brains behind Fulster Holsters, and Sarah Cade Hauptman, who is the owner and brains behind John Hauptman. Um, thanks so much for joining I, us guys i wouldn't say this is a brains kind of operation <laughs> if you hear violence in the background i'll mute you on this side <laughs> so the audience doesn't know what's happening to you no that's a that's a, a reference to one of our favorite films which one way of the gun see i clearly haven't watched it recently oh, enough but i have been watching shooter I've been watching no, you're Shooter. Fired. You're fired. You're it's fired. great. So, so uh, uh, I think it's it's uh, James Con and Benicio del Toro are sitting at the bar, and James Con, the the bag man, is like, "Well, so which one of you is the uh, brains behind this operation?" And Benicio del Toro says something. I think like, uh, "To be honest, I don't think this is a brains kind of operation," which I think is a fantastic summation of the movie. However, this is a brains operation, and it's all located on this side of the table. Over here, <laughs> for our he's, listeners, that's I'm he's pointing at me. Side. I'm gesturing at Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for having us on the show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. It's uh, it's lovely to have you guys. We've been meaning to speak to you for quite some time. Big fans of your products. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. A little bit of admin. Special thanks to DVC Tech. Uh, Gaz does awesome stuff for the shooting community in South Africa, and obviously for the show specifically. He's got some great products on the market. Please check them out at dvctech.co.za or DVC Technologies on Facebook. Thank you very much to Zero Mike Bullets, a proud sponsor of the show. You guys know the drill. Bullets are available. Website is up. Please get your orders in. There is a level four for IPSEC coming up towards the end of this year. Please get your orders in now so you can start loading and uh, do your load development and get some training in. Thanks to Guns at Work, who are making sure that the uh, Welcome to the Gun Show logo is going onto the Eastern Gauteng team shirt for the level four we really appreciate that guys Drill of the month thanks to zero mike for sponsoring a thousand bullets for the winner of the uh draw that happens at when does that happen t uh, six months from when we started okay six months from when we started i think it's, like alpha I think it's the two months to go target stand and the swinger that they've thrown in and then shooting stuff for their offer of walking into their facility 50 rand 15 minutes in and out targets are available use of a timer if you need it Shoot the drill and you can leave. Thank you very much for that, guys. I visited Magnum United this afternoon. Billy, uh, Adrian's son, has come back from the UK. He's going to be helping Adrian with some range repairs and with management and sort of marketing operations going forward for the range. They have their roof back onto their clubhouse, which we all know was stolen last year during lockdown, along with a whole the bunch most of other African stuff. intro ever. They, they stole the roof. Thing was yes. the, they stole the everything. Roof. They stole it, the roof. They stole the toilets. bathrooms. Wow. They took everything. The whole range got carried away because the rangers weren't allowed to operate during lockdown. And because of where they're located, you can't really go there if you're not operating. So there was no one there and everything just got carried away. Oh, God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, a <laughs> couple of more things on, on Magnum United before we get back to our guests. Uh, sorry for holding you guys up. They're introducing shooting packages for bachelor parties and birthday parties and people who just want to go and have fun and, and 
get introduced to firearms even if you don't own them. Uh, I don't have details on exactly what the package is going to be, but that's new at Magnum United. Their new website is going up on Monday. Um, we'll be sure to link that in the show notes for this. And then August, I have been told by the people at Magnum United and TDI, is Women's Month. So ladies shoot for free for the entire month of August. Show up at the range, no range fees. If you're female, please be female. <laughs> Sounds like a Saturday night in Cornet's life. Sounds like a Saturday um, night. <laughs> uh, there is also a fundamentals for ladies only on the 9th of August at Magnum United. And there is a CQC class for ladies only on the 29th of August at Magnum. At, at Magnum. Details will be on their website. Cool. I'm done. Now that we've paid the rent. Um, so we, we've, we've had, we, we're really happy to have Sarah and John on the show. Um, John's done quite a lot of really interesting stuff. That sounded really painful. Uh, a lot of really interesting stuff on their YouTube channel uh, with regards sort of concealment in that. Um, they are also obviously the driving force behind the Enigma high shell. Um, so we, we wanted to get them on here because... <laughs> I think also a lot of people after the um, the unrest of a few weeks ago um, have dusted the blasters off and, and are possibly carrying them again. Um, concealment obviously remains a, a priority. So we wanted to get some some subject matter experts on concealment to, to discuss it. And obviously being audio, um, we'll have a, a diagram and a whiteboard so you can see exactly what we're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, we're really excited. All of us carry in various Fulster things. Wow. Um, plug, nice. plug, plug. I even have a, a gadget because um. <laughs> it's everywhere. <laughs> and Gaz is holding up a pro as well. I yes. even have some of these. Oh, fantastic. So I, I, I would like to start off by thanking you for having us and followed by an immediate apology for not having more Enigmas in the south African market. Yeah. Uh, Hailstorm has been knocking knocking on our door constantly, and we're doing absolutely everything we can. Um, we uh, originally invented the thing and said, okay, well, great. This is for, you know, you kind of guys. P people who take a bunch of classes, do a lot of shooting, have been concealed carrying for a long time. We're like, well, you know, we'll, I'll sell... I'll sell these to people who I know on a first name basis and recognize from, from classes. And that turned out to be completely and totally incorrect. And we have been scrambling for the past eight or nine months to try to like actually make enough of these. So we've, we're dealing with a, a, a wait list here on our end and we're kind of like, ugh, unfortunately kicking the can down the road on dealer fulfillment, but we're also doing a whole bunch of stuff to make them faster, make them in multiple locations, improve certain uh, uh, components and processes to reduce the amount of time that they take and make them better. So then we can get ahead on the wait list and have inventory for all of the dealers. So hopefully fairly soon, we're going to have a lot more of them for you guys uh, over at, over at Hailstorm. And you should have told us that before the first batch arrives. Because the first like five or, or 10 arrived in the country, whatever the first order was, I got a phone call and got told, your Enigma is here, come fetch it. T got a phone call going, your Enigma is here, come fetch it. Um, a day later, I had a video up going, this thing's cool. And then we did a whole show around how this thing is like a month and a half or two months later, how it's changed our lives in terms of daily carry. 
And since then, I think the waiting list at Hailstorm has been longer than they have space in the Excel worksheet for it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so Which is a nice problem to have. So every, every once in a while, you know, I think like once or twice a day, uh, I'll, I'll go on our website, I'll log into the back end of the website and I'll pull up the uh, Indigma product page to kind of like check on which date we've caught up to on the wait list. And the wait list is long enough that it takes me three or four attempts to actually get that page to load because I will get like a timeout error every time I click on, on, on the product page. And it takes me an average of like 15 minutes to even look at the wait list. So it's a little terrifying. However, uh, it puts us in, an, in, a, in a really interesting position to be in where, like I said, we went from having a whole bunch of people who are like you guys, who we can essentially hand this product to without, you know, doing a whole ton of explanation. You go, oh, what I know about concealment maps directly onto the product that's in front of me. And I've kind of done all of these things intuitively. And now I've got more control over it. So I can throw this together. We have people showing up to the brand for the first time ever who have said, great, I finally got an Enigma. Which gun should I buy? <laughs> and that is a complete and total reversal of uh, the situation that we've been in. You know, like for 10 years, we've been making concealed carry equipment and our MO has been to uh, put our gear in front of, you know, high-end instructors. And they, uh, in turn, put our gear in front of high-end students. Sort of like, here's here's all the the, the values and, and philosophy that shape the equipment. And you've identified yourself as people who care about that by signing up for a class. But now the whole order of that is switched and sort of like instead of being at the very narrow end of the kind of like uh, funnel of expertise, we're way, way out in the front. So now we kind of have to think about the products that we're making. You know, we build everything we know about concealment into the product. So we have to turn around and revisit our roots as uh, an educational institution and get out there in front and teach people about concealment and then provide them with the equipment that allows them to put that into place. So that's kind of where we're going with a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a legitimate crisis that we're in, not just the, from the manufacturing side, but also from the information side, where we started out, uh, we made all of our instructional guides and materials for our regular customers who are at a certain level of experience. And so now to to kind of scale that back, to the level we find ourselves at. It's like, it's a little bit like starting over, which is crazy. Uh, and, you know, we've we've had some comments from folks here and there that are a bit derogatory towards the new people. But I have to say, as someone who has been doing political activism for the last decade, this is like, this is like the holy grail promised land of people who are new to this community and new to the sport. Um, you know, I say sport, but it I'm, a, I'm encompassing self-defense lifestyle in that, uh, you know, we, our group has never been this young or this female before. And that is miraculous if we want, you know, in the U.S., our Second Amendment to continue. Uh, and, you know, if, if we want this armed lifestyle to continue in our culture, um, it's, it's pretty amazing. So, you know, we, we're not complaining. We're just in complete awe of <laughs> the market that we have accidentally tapped into. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> how many, how many times have you had the conversation about how do we 
help new shooters skip over that initial step of buying whatever crap is in front of them and then sort of struggling through that? Like how do we, you know, it used to be that you could tell how fresh someone was to guns and shooting by the equipment that they bought and, and how that equipment purchase reflect reflected the amount of information that they had access to. Right. And we're like, well, how, how do, how do we, how do we divert people away from these kind of like uh, the, the novice equipment choices that hold them back, right? They buy some like really kind of worryingly garbage holster that doesn't support actually training or carrying a gun. And so it kind of, it, it like every choice they make holds them back further and further. And it's like, well, what would happen if we could, you know, shortcut that and get people into better gear faster? How do we increase the amount of information that's out there? And that's, you know, it's what we've been all struggling with forever as, you know, experienced uh, concealed carriers. And then all of it's all of a sudden it happens and it's like, no, 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 wait, I didn't mean us. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, meant, I was like, this is all hypothetical and someone else's job. This is a community responsibility. Here. Right. I, I didn't sign up for that. So uh, one of the big pushes that we're making in the, you know, last quarter of, 2021 and through 2022 is that we're going to push really hard on the educational responsibility that we have. Um, our gear comes from a certain place, you know, we, we come from the kind of like range master shiv works kind of training community and all of that knowledge and instruction informs the products that we make. And instead of us being the end all be all source of information, you know, the, I don't want the buck to stop with us. So one of the big projects that we're going to have over the next several months is figuring out a mechanism by which we funnel all of the people who have arrived at our brand before. It used to be you arrive at that world and then you arrive at our brand. Mm -hmm. Now they you arrive at our brand and we need to funnel people into that world. So we're working on ways to uh, reduce the friction between the people who arrive at our brand and the kinds of training opportunities that there are. Even if it that even if that's just uh, stuff like, um, you know, you can have some one-on-one -on -one video coaching with whatever of the really excellent structure instructors we happen to know and be in community with. Uh, so that's, that's a, a project that we're working on as well as revamping all of our educational material about how to conceal a gun. So we're working on teaching people about what it takes to generate concealment and then giving them all the tools to get from, you know, zero to 60 in terms of concealment in the first day that they have all of this rather than uh, the process of, you know, taking years and years to get it all figured out. I like that. It's, it kind of, it was actually, I had a conversation with someone about this today on, on the sports shooting side, you know, 10 years ago, if, if you started, there was very little access to information, maybe a bit more than 10 years ago, because I'm getting old, but uh, you know, a lot of stuff was self-taught or, or it was a case of, you you found a mentor at your club and, and hopefully it was someone with a clue who, who kind of steered you in the direction. Whereas someone starting now has has instant access to all sorts of information. Um, you know, other competitors, training material, that sort of thing. And and it, it sounds like a very similar similar direction where where someone can avoid that that infamous box of holsters that we all have. Um, and and that and, and and bad sort of carry decisions where they decide they need the world's smallest gun ever because that's the only thing that they can conceal, um, or 
sticky holsters are, are the big thing here. I think there it's Uncle Mike sausage sacks and, and here it's sticky holsters. Uh, <laughs> um, and and I, 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 you know, we're seeing it as well with, with younger guys or, or guys who are newer into the game who, who are accelerating sort of the knowledge they have. Uh, and I'm not going to pick on him. Corn is relatively new to, not new, new, but he's, he's a few years into shooting. Um, and he's had a, he had an opportunity and he's, he's grabbed it like very few people would to rapidly accelerate his, his sort of knowledge in that. Um, and I think that's a really useful tool, you know, stop people spending 10 years trying to work out the basics um, and, and get people plugged into that experience. Because exactly as you say, everyone's, oh, we, we must help people, but, but not me. You must learn, you must research. And it doesn't matter what world you're in, I've recently got involved in tarantulas, and you'll be surprised how often the response to everything is, oh, you must do your research. Um, well, that's what I'm doing. Um, and, and and you see how many people get turned off. And, and I think we've been, I've been guilty of it in the past as well. I'm, I'm trying to be kinder and gentler as I, as I get older. Um, of, well, I had to learn the hard way. So why should you have it any easier? Uh, and I think that's, that's a really nice tool for for that. Um, you know, to, to give, yeah, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was no, just no, going to say, uh, you, you brought up an interesting point that I wanted to expand on a little bit. Uh, so listening to that, one of the takeaways I got is that uh, the access to information that we have now can reduce barriers to getting people deeper into this sport faster, which is something that doesn't always get acknowledged but you know shooting is expensive it's an expensive sport uh it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of energy um to get good at it and if you're able to shortcut your process and skip the crap that you waste money on at the beginning you know all of a sudden shooting is it, shooting costs like half as much mm. you know i can't even tell you how much money i wasted on junk guns and you know, junk gear. And if I had been able to skip all of that, I, I probably would think shooting was not as difficult or expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also important to think about things like, uh, <clears throat> like the enthusiast cycle, right? So uh, people get into something and then they have to have a series of positive uh, personal and community personal and social experiences that sustain them through the difficult parts of the learning curve such that they don't take some kind of exit ramp off out of this field and then go on to be a kind of, you know, uh, emeritus or, or sustaining member of the community once they kind of get through the, uh, the churn of the en enthusiast cycle. So giving more people more on ramps and positive experiences is super important. And that's so um, I've, I've noticed a lot of uh, South African members in our uh, Facebook group. So I'm sure mentioning the Again, filter concealment ap workshop. Uh, apologies. <laughs> we will put a link in the show notes. As sure. Well. Uh, it's, oh, is, Cornwall. Is, Cornwall. Is, is appropriate. But one of the things that we're trying to do there is be very strict about the kind of community that we have there so that people have positive social experiences surrounding the thing that they're enthusiastic about. So we sustain them through the part of this that's difficult. What, step one is to make the difficult part less difficult. Uh, and step two is to give people opportunities for personal success and also some kind of like social bonding. So you go to a class and you get better at shooting and you also meet cool people, 
right? Or you go to a competition and you have a good experience and you also meet cool people. And that sustains you through the part of this that's potentially a grind, right? And the yep. more that we do things like that, the uh, the shorter the span between entry and then being a sustaining member uh, and the fewer opportunities to exit, uh, the better off we are. Yeah, and especially for for an opportunity like we have now, like realistically, the reason most of these people are here is because of 2020. Because mm -hmm. 2020 was a complete shit show and people are scared. Fear is going to fade. And once the fear fades, the social bonds are what's going to keep people in the community long term. Um, you know, without that, it's just going to be a wave that disappears. And I think there's a lot of mirrors b between the, the the American sort of experience and our experience. Um, you guys are fortunate enough to have the Second Amendment. Um, we we have firearms ownership as a privilege. Uh, so so here, the time between you purchasing a gun and you taking that gun home is going to be at least a year. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so, so from your you deciding I'm going to get a gun and and starting the process, if if you've got that gun in your grabby paws in a year, you're actually not doing too badly at the moment. So, that's that, and that adds a whole new challenge here because a lot of people go, well, it takes so long. What's the point? Um, you know, or, or the classic, can we fast track it? No, no, we can't. Um, what we're also seeing here, and I and I think. You, you've, you've touched on it with with, with the, the Facebook group, and, and that is, and it's it's nothing new, it's nothing radical, but a, a change in the face of of gun ownership and 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 training and and shooters. Um, you know, when 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 I started shooting, it was middle aged white guys, um, and and that was the that was ninety five percent of the people on the range. Um, and it was generally pretty conservative. Um, and we're seeing, I mean, your guys' uh, podcast, uh, I don't know, you're not doing it anymore, are you? Uh, we got pretty sidetracked this year. We thought we were <laughs> going to have a season two, but then we turned around and look at, looked at what the time no. commitment involved with that. It was like, I think we got our, I think, I think we hit the, the, the main points in season yeah. one. We just yeah. let that ride for a while. Season one was pretty comprehensive. <laughs> so, so John and Sarah do a, a podcast called Gun, Guns Guide to Liberals. Did I get it right? Yeah. Oh, excellent. Um, and I think it's an, it, it's an important thing that also pans into that, you know, that, that old school sort of approach of, well, I'm going to scream and shout and, and, and be really obnoxious to you. And if you're worthy, you'll, you'll get over that. And then I'll, I'll kind of treat you like a peer. Um, worked on old conservative dudes. Uh, but for a lot of people now who, in a lot of ways, probably need guns more than I do, um, and and who are, are in a position where this is this is a, a really important thing, are met with this this gatekeeping of, you're, you're not like us. Um, and I think that's, we're seeing big changes here with that. Um, and, I, and, and I mean, I, I, from, from watching you guys from the outside, uh, and, and 2020, um, a whole lot of people who in 2019 probably would have laughed at you if you told them they were ever going to buy a gun have probably got an AR-15 at home now. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, which is fantastic. <laughs> I think there's there's a tension, right? So uh, a lot of folks insist rightfully that a certain level of skill is something that you earn and you have to put in the dedication and have the chops and and gr 
grind it out and be uh, focused and diligent about achieving a certain level of skill, right? And so you don't wind up with people who've taken shortcuts to be, you know, a master or grandmaster class. All of those people are people who have paid dues through diligence. However, I think it is completely reasonable to fast track people to competence and basic levels of success. Getting from zero to uh, sufficiently proficient with a handgun and zero to comfortably, reliably concealing and carrying that gun, I, I don't think there's any reason why people should have to uh, earn that with an undue amount of sweat. It's important to understand the principles to the degree that you are capable of self-diagnosing and making your own adjustments and making your own accommodations as you find that you need to make them. However, like we shouldn't gate people out of basic proficiency and having like, it's okay. Like <clears throat> I want it to be okay to have totally instant gratification about carrying a gun. You buy your pistol, you get your correct piece of equipment. It comes with everything you need to cause it to conceal. You put it on, get an adjustment, and you are ready to go as fast as possible. And there's no reason that you need to spend a thousand dollars in 10 years and a whole bunch of annoying guesswork to get there. Yeah. yeah and to, to add to that a little bit, I think um, once you get to that basic level of proficiency, um, if you look at the the actual like reality of of a, an average self defense situation, it's really more about your recognition, your decision making, uh, your you know uh, your reaction to pressure than it is about your shooting skill. And while you can work on all those things in shooting classes, and you absolutely should, um, it it becomes kind of a diminishing return. And I think we kind of get we get locked into this mindset that if we could just encourage people to train enough, we could train out all of the bad decisions and errors, uh, you know, and oh, oops, I shot the wrong guy, that kind of stuff. Um, but I don't think that is particularly realistic uh, because I don't think the things we're training correlate to the errors people are making in real life. So I agree with John that the quicker we can get people to that basic proficiency level, uh, the better. And I don't see that leading to a massive increase in, you know, negligent shootings or unjustified shootings or anything like that. I, mean, uh, I think probably it, it's the like opposite. A, yeah, it's like a different skill set almost. So one of the things that makes South African prep, uh, South Africa perhaps a little bit different to a lot of places in the US is we are, yeah, brick walls. <laughs> It's safe to drive fire in this direction because it's not a drywall or a piece of wood. Folks <laughs> <laughs> aside, uh, we are required to carry our firearms covered. Uh, concealment is not a requirement, so someone can still see the thing sticking through your shirts, whatever. But we are required to carry them covered. Where so we we have no form of open carry unless you're uniformed law enforcement, military, or security. And the important bit there is uniformed. You have to be in, in uniform. If you're plain clothed investigator or something, you still have to carry your gun in a covered manner. In that makes, in theory. We're not saying that happens everywhere, but that is the law over here. Um, which means I think a lot of people have, in the last number of years, 
rapidly adapted to going to inside the waistband holsters where they used to be high. Well, there's still a, a lot of people who want to carry four o'clock outside the waistband and, and wear a coat or something, but South Africa gets hot. So we've had a lot of people jumping to inside the waistband, but they're having real difficulty in some instances getting away from four o'clock or getting away from three o'clock and getting people to invest in good quality gear when you eventually get them in front of the hips has proven to be really difficult here. Um, we have some local manufacturers that make excellent holsters. We have some local manufacturers that make not excellent holsters. International holsters are not highly available. So up until recently, if you wanted Fulster gear, and I have a lot of Fulster gear, I had to import everything directly from you. Um, I have a lot of JM stuff, and I had to import directly from them. Getting local guys to go, but when I go, so this Fulster Pro holster has a lot of features that you can't see built into it. What you should do is spend that 25 to 50% more, buy one of these and be done. And getting people to understand that, that there's value in that proposition as opposed to spending, you know, 50% less than this three or four times over on various pieces of equipment. And then eventually you go, gee, those guys might be right and you buy one of these things. It's proven to be really difficult. And you can sometimes come across as dickish when you go, that holster's is not going to work for you. So it's important to have the, like the whole vocabulary of why uh, in order to help people get to the what. Um, one of the things that I've been trying to message a lot more directly <clears throat> lately is that the holster itself is just a starting point. Almost no holster is perfect for everybody off the shelf. The only other thing that people do that is like carrying a gun inside the waistband is, is roughly analogous to wearing a prosthetic of some kind or a medical device. You have a pre-manufactured piece of equipment that is not like your body, that is attached to your body for 12 hours a day. So if you look at someone who has a prosthetic limb, a portion of that limb is manufactured and comes out of a box a certain way. And then there's the other part of it that interfaces with, for example, uh, whatever remains of their arm or their leg. And then the part that interfaces with their body, they spend a lot of time with their, with their uh, prosthetic specialist tuning that to fit them. They use specialized materials and strategies in order to reduce things uh, like pressure points, fatigue, and, 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 and skin issues. And someone will wear their prosthetic for a week and go back and get it adjusted. I have, I have a, a friend of mine who's uh, uh, missing his arm right below the elbow, and there's always something that needs to be done or tweaked or changed about that, um, about how that fits him. So your holster is a starting point for something of a prosthetic experience, right? You're going to need to take the principles of uh, principles of concealment mechanics, right? Like how do you cause the gun to conform to your body and exist within the envelope of space between your clothing and your body such that it doesn't print and do all of the things that cause that to be ergonomic, uh, ergonomic and sustainable to wear for 12 hours a day. So there's the last 10, 15% of how the holster fits you is something that the wearer needs to take responsibility for and then put into action uh, the things they understand about concealment. And we also happen to have a bunch of resources about that. 
on our website. Really excellent resources. If he sounds yeah, like really intelligent with all the big words he's using, <laughs> because he doesn't normally belong on this show. And we kind of like really, to think it's very nice. He's really fantastic at what he does. <laughs> if you, you watch their watch videos, it. you will be less stupid. Well, <laughs> guaranteed. Sixty <laughs> percent of the time, every time. You will time. at least have sat through the videos. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got uh, vi videos on the YouTube channel. YouTube channel is uh, Philly EDC. You can look up uh, the uh, uh, concealment tune-up videos that we've done. There's a whole lecture that I gave at uh, an active self-protection national conference. And we also have a bunch of shorter breakout videos that we filmed just for that. And then on our website, there is the blog section that Sarah has uh, written up. And there's also the basics of concealment mechanics uh, graphics guide. It's uh, some cute little illustrations that teach you how to conceal a gun. Yeah, and, I think. And, oh, go ahead. Huh? <laughs> so. <laughs> To, just to kind of take it back to your original comment, um, there is a, it, it's almost like people don't believe you when you talk about how holsters are different. And and I get that because I used to be that person. I used to think when I, you know, I was wasting so much money on holsters when I first started because I thought, oh, it's just a piece of plastic. It, you know, it's, hmm. it's a piece of plastic and it's, it's 0 0.093 inches thick there's no way it can make that big of a difference. So it's smartest to just get the cheapest one. And that's what I thought for a really long time. And I couldn't figure out why I wasn't having success with concealment. Uh, and eventually, once I started to learn the actual mechanical principles that make guns conceal, I was like, oh, that's why I was getting bad results with this crappy gear. <laughs> but before that, you couldn't have convinced me and I probably would have just called you a snob if you were like, no, 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 you must spend more money. I've been like, why? But it's tricky because you need you need a a moderate to high level of background knowledge to understand why it's worthwhile. It's it's that classic thing about learning stuff on the internet. The more you know about the topic, the more you can learn about it on the internet because the, the better prepared you are to filter your sources. Um, yes. You know, people yeah, go on a sure. forum and go, "Who's got the most posts? This dude must be clever," uh, <laughs> and you know, or whoever's the loudest or the most obnoxious or whatever, they, they must know what they're talking about. And I think you've hit on something that we couldn't cover in the show, but or, or not, not, we could barely scratch the surface, but far too many people think concealment involves, I put a gun on, I throw a shirt or something over it, and that's it. Um, and, and you get trite little answers like it should be comforting, not comfortable, um, which that. is wonderful, except what happens is you carry the gun for three weeks and then you go, fuck, this is horrible. You stick it in the safe. And six months later, you realize you're not carrying a gun anymore. Or you go smaller and smaller or smaller, or your concealment game becomes complete shit and you come back with, well, soccer moms don't notice. I've never been shot at by a soccer mom. <laughs> um, I've had some yeah. filthy looks, but I've never been shot at by a soccer mom. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I think the, the two main things that people say, one, nobody notices you printing, uh, and two, it should be comforting, not comfortable. Yeah, I got dibs on that one. I have opinions on that. So I'll take the first one. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, nobody notices you printing is something that people print, people who print say to themselves and each other in order to uh, get over that. And like, obviously, yes, the people who don't notice aren't the people I'm worried about. But um, I think people reach the limit of 
what they're willing to buy and do in order to cause concealment. And they reach their limit of what they know to do to how to, to, to cause concealment. And they go, okay, well, anything past that is just uh, extraneous. You know, they've, they've gotten all the, whatever low hanging fruit they think they can get. And then that's as good as it gets. Um, we're talking about taking a mechanical object and, you know, a, a mechanical appliance and causing it to conform to your body. That's not ever, that's not an off the rack solution for most people's shoes. That's not an off the rack solution for clothing that fits you really well. It's not an off the rack solution for um, prosthetics. It's not, a, or glasses or anything else that you affix to your body. So it's not going to be like that for a gun. However, there's all sorts of like tiny little important counterintuitive things to know about how to cause concealment um, that are not that much higher hanging fruit than buying something off the rack. You get a good starting place for your holster. You, if, if you know what the principles of concealment mechanics are, and then you, you can better identify the first holster to get that's going to be the best starting point for you, and then with an understanding of your body and how to apply those mechanics, you can turn around and do the last little bit of tweaking and not be in a position where you're struggling for six months. Yeah. And it, it's like Derek said, you have to know a little to be able to self teach. Uh, and one of the problems people have is that they get into this at the level of like, Hey, I just arrived. I don't even know where to look yet. And they get thrown a lot of answers by very well-meaning people for the most part. Like, oh, just do this. It worked for me. Do this. It worked for me. Well, what works for you is going to be very different than what works for me. Uh, Derek, you're like a foot and a half taller than me. and I'm normal size. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently I'm mini size. <laughs> but, but like, there's there's some differences there that people don't understand, and they're not obvious. And they get well-meaning, but very bad advice. <laughs> and they try to apply it, and they don't have success. And, uh, you know, that drives a lot of people out of the community who would otherwise be successfully participating. Um, so that's definitely a problem. But the, the topic I really wanted to pick on is the comforting versus comfortable, because I hate that. I hate it with a burning, fiery passion. That's the I wish. wish this was a video. I, like for our listeners, <laughs> because the, the the fervor in your face. <laughs> oh God! I, I, have you ever been sprayed in the face with palm pepper spray? That is the fiery intensity of the hatred I have for that phrase. <laughs> and the reason I hate it so much, it's not because it's wrong. It's not really wrong. It's you know carrying a gun is never going to be more comfortable than not carrying a gun. So it's not wrong, but as advice for a new person, it is worse than useless and actually harms people because new people don't know how much discomfort is normal. So, you know, yeah. we've got people that'll come into the group and say, well, you know, I've, I got this holster and I've been carrying this gun and it's just really not comfortable. What, is there anything I can do? And a bunch of people will say, well, no, no, it's not supposed to be comfortable. And they'll say, well, okay, I guess I'll just suffer through it. And then you come to find out that they've got an actual skin lesion yeah. uh, from this holster that has caused an ulcer that has penetrated all the way through their skin. But because everybody told them it's not supposed to be comfortable, they thought that level of discomfort was normal. 
And the people who were saying it, all they meant was, well, you know, it's like wearing a bra uh, to steal an analogy from Kathy Jackson of the, the cornered cat. You know, you can have a comfortable, well-fitting bra that you mostly forget about during the day. But at the end of the day, you're always really happy to take it off. And that's what your gun should be like. So that's how when, I feel. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? That's how, so when, that's how my bras fit. <laughs> you know, but they for, make for you the look gentleman, so good, John. You can, you can substitute in shoes or, you know, pants or whatever it is that you're wearing. Heels. Uh, yeah, heels. <laughs> no, not heels. They really are horrible. But, uh, but yeah, so, you know, that's what people mean, especially people who have been carrying for a decade and have their own setup pretty well figured out. You know, they mean it should you know, you should be able to tolerate it through the day. And yeah, it feels good to take it off when you get home. Um, but what actually gets heard by the new people is that they are supposed to tolerate a level of discomfort and they don't know where the line is between physical damage or, you know, just get used to it. Right. They might, yeah. <clears throat> even stuff like uh, they might run into uh, mobility issues or uh, they might have selected a gun and a holster and a carry position such that, it changes their posture and their stride. And then over the course of a year, they've got like, uh, like a mobility asymmetry, you know, like you, you might have tighter muscles on one side, or like you might have like some kind of like mystery issue that you haven't noticed because you've picked a gun that weighs too much and you've applied too much pressure with your belt and it throws your whole lower back off over some period of time. Right. That's, that's not especially comforting to me at least, right? So you, you, people might wind up with circulation issues, they might wind up with pressure points, they might wind up with a bruise, they might wind up with, uh, you know, some number of like really obnoxious ingrown hairs or something. These are all things like these are things that realistically happen to people who conceal carry that they don't really talk about all that much. Uh, but that's not something you should just put up with you should. The discomfort is usually a signal from your body that something anatomically incorrect is happening right and you should pay attention to that and make the necessary adjustments right and so some of this um so for example one of the problems that people have all the time is they go oh i need a small gun for concealed carry especially a small automatic so they'll get something like a glock 26 and they'll put you know 11 or 12 rounds of 147 grain hst in that little gun and then you wind up in a situation where once it's in your waistband 80% of the mass of the gun is above the belt line. And anybody who's got a little bit of a spare tire will immediately know that carrying a Glock 26 is way less comfortable than carrying a 17 because all the mass above the belt line tips out away from the body. Some part of your body pushes it away from your body. And before you know it, your tiny gun has created a intolerable welt where the muzzle touches you. And this happens to everyone. And you can scale that up and down with you know, uh, different people in different body categories with different guns. You know, a shield might do that on someone who's, you know, five foot six and 125 pounds or something like that, right? The same principle applies. So you wind up with a uh, proportionally small gun creating a significant bodily pressure point for you. So one of the popular ways that people try to fix that is by using some kind of hybrid holster where you have a really big pad between you and the gun. And to some degree, you do spread out the pressure, right? You're not, you know, it's not the gun, it's not the carrying equivalent of stepping on a Lego anymore. However, that results in a whole bunch of additional problems where you've traded um, one issue for another. So when we talk about the concealment mechanics, we're talking about doing 
things that apply uh, leverage to the gun to cause it to conform to your body. That's going to happen with some kind of uh, asymmetry built or assembled onto the holster. You use a wedge on the back of the holster to tip the top of the gun back into the body. And you you guys know that if your holster is a little bit longer, that gives you more real estate to play around with the position of the wedge. And you can have some kind of wing or asymmetry built into the front of the holster that takes the belt pressure and causes the grip to conform to you. Um, When you have a big pad on the back of your gun, that starts to act like a snowshoe where everything that you're trying to apply to the gun to cause it to conceal is resisted by the big swatch of leather or, or padded nylon that you've put on the back of the holster. So you don't get any uh, improved concealment out of it. Or if you do, you have to apply a lot more pressure to it to overcome the snowshoe effect. uh, And you wind up uh, shortening the lifespan of the holster significantly. So I'll see like hybrid holsters that have a big leather backer and someone will put a gigantic wing on them. And you know, there's about probably maybe six months of really solid use before that just cracks and gives up the ghost. And then you've got like an unsafe condition. And then on top of it, you've got all of your body that is behind that hybrid backer that is sweating um, and causing other skin issues that aren't, you know, you might be trading the pressure point discomfort for a different kind of uh, discomfort. Yeah, and it turns out there's a better way. So when you uh, when you use concealment mechanics to your advantage, you instead of kind of like band-aiding that problem, like, oh, this is a problem, I'm going to fix it by applying a band-aid to the back of my holster. Um, when you change the concealment mechanics at the source, uh, it ends up eliminating those pressure points, so you don't need the Band-Aid. So it's it's really the better way to go about things. Um, but it does take a lot of research and knowledge, and uh, it's, it's a lot harder than just watching some product reviews online. So in a nutshell, if you have specific discomfort, regardless of the level of discomfort, if you have specific discomfort that you can describe, you have to fix it because you know where it is manifesting. You don't necessarily know where it starts, but you know where it's manifesting. So you can ask direct questions in a place like the Pulse of Concealment Group and right. get so, answers that'll get you to eliminate that. For sure. But so instead if of you saying, have general discomfort, sorry, John, if you have general <laughs> discomfort, it doesn't mean that you need to live with it. But if you have a specific discomfort, at least you're a step closer to fixing it. Don't I interrupt yeah. you. Sorry. Right. It's, it's important it's, to be able to name the problem, right? It's, it's not just like, uh, uh, is this uncomfortable? It's like X part of the gun interacts with my body in this fashion, and that causes me to experience discomfort. Yeah, I, I guess for me, my personal standard is like, is this more uncomfortable than a wedgie? So like a wedgie <laughs> is very uncomfortable. <laughs> it is not a pleasant feeling. But is it going to actually harm your body? No. So that's the difference for me between like, well, this feels uncomfortable, but it's not a symptom of any deeper problem. Or this feels uncomfortable because it is damaging the layers of my skin, or it is causing a pressure point, or it is causing a friction or a shear injury. And I think related to that, and it's something we've discussed in the show before, what often ends up happening with that is, people just stop carrying a gun. Uh, yes. You know, on the internet, everyone carries a G34 with an X300, I suppose it's a modelite now, um, four, you know, plus six magazines, 14 knives, med gear, 
And that's what they carry all day, every day. And it's surprising how often I bump into them in public and go, dude, your concealment game is awesome. And you get a, oh, no, no, I can't carry a gun at work. Um, but people going on the internet see the, the EDC pocket dumps of all the gear and go, yeah, but I'm, I must carry all of this because this person's carrying all of this. And then, and then stop because it causes pain. Um, and the reality is there, there's, there's, and it's important to, I think, to, to sort of separate the two. There's going to be, as you say, and I think the bra analogy, I, I saw Kathy Jackson write that the other day, I think is brilliant. Um, a little bit of discomfort, something, something that's, it, it, it's never going to be great carrying a gun is one thing. Pain, I've literally wanted to throw my gun out the window of my car with the wrong holster sort of set up. And, and you look at this and you go, you're not going to carry that. Your concealment is going to be a challenge because you're going to be walking around prodding and poking and, and, and moving it. Um, so, you know, I think having a little bit of info is is helpful. Um, and yeah, info that, that works for you. I mean, we, we look at um, John and Sarah, no Melody and Annette, who are both teeny tiny people who quite often carry pretty big guns, um, really well concealed because they have a good setup. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a big challenge that, that people often don't get over because they buy that inside the waistband holster that, that happens to be set up vertically because this is now an appendix carry holster. Um, stick it in, walk, it's G26 length because that's going to be easier. Uh, at the end of the day, they're in agony. They take the gun off, stick it in their backpack uh, and, and never do it again. Yeah, you you brought up a point that is so spot on is that there's an internet like honor culture there. <laughs> I'll tell a little story here. So my uh, my ex-husband, who is a wonderful man, no ill will there at all. Uh, my ex-husband and his friends had this little competition that they would call a man off. So anytime there was something like uncomfortable and macho or, you know, Whatever the, the case may be, like, say, for example, we had to walk across hot pavement barefoot. They'd be like, man off. And then whoever could walk across the hot pavement long enough, uh, you know, longer than the others was the winner. So whoever could tolerate the most discomfort or, you know, suppress the most pain was the winner of the man off. And that that culture is very prevalent on the Internet with these EDC pocket dumps. And people are like... Uh, a prime example here, again, is uh, I'm going to pick on this weapon mounted lights. So a weapon mounted light that is good enough to do the job that a weapon mounted light needs to do is pretty good size. And you'll have all these people who will dogmatically proclaim that you must carry a weapon light. Weapon lights are mandatory. And then, they, you know, their setup is huge and they've got, a, you know, six spare mags and a weapon mounted light and anyone who carries less than that clearly is going to lose the man off and we can't have that. Right. So everybody's, you know, there's this competitive <laughs> pressure. Um, but the thing with that is that those types of setups don't work on every, every shape of body. And I'm not even getting into size here because uh, you know, like you were saying, Melody and Annette, Melody's like five foot two, five foot one, maybe. And uh, yeah. And Melody can carry a full-size gun with a weapon light. But Melody's individual body landscape is favorable for that. So because of the way Melody is built and, you know, the locations, if you, if you imagine your, your body as like a topographical map, 
the locations of your peaks and valleys determine how much gun you can conceal. Mine um, is so Colorado. Sorry. It's <laughs> 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 so, so majestic. <laughs> so, so your your locations of your peaks and valleys determine where where and how much gun you can conceal. So it's not just about your height or your weight, but those things factor in, of course. Um, so, so bringing it back, if you take a gun with a weapon-mounted light on a person like me, who I'm, I'm built fairly tall and fairly slender, um, but because of the, way, the location of my peaks and valleys, I cannot conceal a full-size gun with a weapon-mounted light because my individual topography just doesn't allow for that. It just doesn't work. Um, so, you know, people will say, well, Melody can do it, and she's only five foot one. You're five foot nine. You should be able to do it too. But it doesn't really work like that, almost to the point where I'm, I'm kind of, um, you know, I'm kind of over the whole body size as a, as a factor in concealment as much as I am the body shape, right? So... Yeah, size uh, size doesn't matter, gentlemen. Here it is from an authority on the topic. What's size important is how big matter. your penis is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Before Terry gets any deeper into his penis. <laughs> on Sorry, the, that was just battle, set up so perfectly. I, I knew. I, I <laughs> threw a softball there. Sarah, we, one of the very first episodes we did, we were talking about how people lie on the internet. Exactly with their pocket dumps and... Yes all the gear they carry. And uh, I think this is probably the thing that's been most quoted that I said coming off the show, because someone said you have, I think T said you have to carry six knives, four spare mags and a G34. And I said, well, then you run into this dude on the beach and you go, are you carrying your gear? And he goes, absolutely. And you go, motherfucker, you're in the speedo. <laughs> People <laughs> lie about everything they carry. Right, or, or like they put it all on for the one picture or the one video mm -hmm. they share. And you look at them and you're like, I will pay you $1,000 if you wear that every day for a week. Because yeah. yes. I know you don't. Because you can wear that for six hours, you're doing well, right? right? Listen, it's confession time. Dun, dun, dun. I don't carry all that much shit, honestly. <gasps> Neither do I. Like, as so you... Th th this is this is the kind of game that you can play on easy mode or hard mode, right? And you're playing the same game, right? It's the same levels. It's just a, a range of how difficult you choose to make it for yourself. I can carry a pistol, a flashlight, and a light, and medical all the time. But it's not going to be a duty-sized pistol with an X300 and, a, and, a, and the biggest flashlight that I have and a huge knife and a huge trauma kit. It's just going to be like the tiniest, easiest version of whatever all that is I have handy. And I really like carrying a gun on easy mode. And, and, and what constitutes an easy mode gun today is so much better than it was 10 years ago. Like I have a P365 with a red dot that I carry in a skeleton holster in an Enigma. And it is completely and totally zero effort. I don't have to do a whole lot to it to get it to conceal. I don't notice that it's there. I don't adjust it all the time. It doesn't have any ergonomic conflicts and it completely vanishes. And if I need even more vanishment than that, I can just kind of, you know, hike my pants up a little bit more and kind of sink the gun below my belt line. And I have, I, I have a gun that's got 11 rounds and an optic on it all the time. We're living in the future, right? I can, 
I've worn it to like doctors and dentists offices where I'm going to be laying on my back in such a way that the gun can only print. I've taken that into places where there's a lot of scrutiny and it's super easy. Like, why not just like, it's cool to play, play it on hard mode and you can be like, yeah, I'm, I'm winning this game. I'm, I'm carrying everything under the sun because for whatever reason, I have a really high tolerance for carrying that much stuff. And I've, you know, I've got the anatomy for it and this and that and the other thing, but like, you know, there's so much gun to be carried easily that like, why, why? I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to develop and display your uh, knowledge and abilities along that dimension and to sort of like really get into the craft and the harder you make it for yourself, the more craft related challenges there are. But I got to tell you, once you go through that, it's so much fun to just effortlessly carry a little gun that's as capable as you could want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've noticed that too. People kind of go through a curve of what they carry. So you start out and you're wondering how much effort you really want to put into this at all. It's like, well, I don't know. Do I really want to? Well, okay, maybe I'll try it. Uh, and, you know, maybe you've got good reasons, whether, uh, you know, it's political or social unrest or... Uh, crime or, you know, everyone has their reason to carry. And that motivates people to different degrees. And, you know, people kind of go up this curve of how much effort and time they are willing to put into their carry setup. Uh, and as your skill increases, you're like, ooh, this is awesome. Like, I can make this really big gun disappear if I just do this, 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 and this. And, and that's cool. And they do that for a while. And after a while, they, they kind of crest that curve and the novelty of that wears off and they kind of take it back a little bit like, okay, what do I actually need? Yes, I can conceal this G34 and X300, you know, I can, but it's a little uncomfortable for every day. Maybe I'll just stick with the G43 or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but the, the curve kind of stays constant for most people unless they have a, a duty, uh, you know, or a requirement for uh, for work. I've also noticed that the kind of uh, enthusiast exploration of how much gun you can carry also corresponds to the period of time where people are super enthusiastic about improving their shooting skill. So it's both of these things at once. Like I've got, you know, <clears throat> my rolling special and I'm shooting it all the time and I've got, you know, a two second bill drill and I can, you know, clean a super test and, and, uh, taking a bunch of classes and I'm carrying the most capable gun that I can. And I'm going to the range all the time. And the sort of combination of the, the, uh, self directed learning and exploration of what that maximum is kind of carries people through the progress. Like if you had to go if you had to start with nothing and learn how to shoot two second build drills with nothing but a Glock 26, oh, you'd hate it. it, it, it or, or, or like a, uh, a P365. Like getting yourself to that level of performance is just like, that'd be such a grind. But you've got, you've got the, the gear acquisition fun and you've got the uh, self-directed challenge fun. And, the, the, and at the end of it, you've got a, a pretty deep knowledge of how concealment works and some pretty... Pro high level shooting proficiency and you go, Hey, you know what? I'm only like a, uh, 
0.06 split times slower with my subcompact than I am with this full size gun. You know, I've been shooting this, you know, Glock 34 with a comp on it for two years. And I'm, I'm down into those kind of, you know, like 0 0.16, 0 0.17 split times. And I'm at like a 0 0.2, 0 0.25 split time with my P365. Oh, and by the way, you can't really actually think that much faster than 0.25 splits anyway. So I've, I've done all this hard work. And so the, the smaller pistol feels easier in every way when it would have been a challenge early on. So I think, I, I think there's a lot of utility in that, but also kind of like I watch a lot of people doing it and going, mm -hmm, I'll see you soon. <laughs> yeah. And just to be clear there, like, this is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. And we're not making fun of people who are at different points on this curve. Uh, it's actually awesome. And I'm glad and proud that our shooting community emphasizes performance to this degree, whether it's the performance of just the pure shooting skill or the performance of concealment skill. Um, I think that's completely awesome. Uh, the only thing that is problematic about it is when the people at the that are cresting that curve um, act like what they're doing is mandatory for everyone, which it's not. And, it, you know, it's not mandatory for them either. And they will probably get to that point as well. <laughs> if you just wait, you know, give it a couple of years. It's just that goth phase. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. you've, you've been looking at old photos of me, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of sexy, right, T? Do you know how much black velvet it takes to cover this? Because I do. Uh. I think one of the things as well with, with all of this is to understand that when you're giving other people's advice, you can't necessarily give them the information that you know from your trial and error. You actually need to look at all of these things from a much bigger picture. Um, and that's something that a lot of guys forget. So when we see those EDC pocket dumps, for example, and he's carrying half of his safe with him, if not, put some shoulder straps on his safe and got that on his back. Um, he's giving the wrong advice and he's applying that to what everybody should be doing and what he thinks everybody should be doing, but he's not catering to what everybody needs. And that's right. the difficult part for most people. And you, and, and you tend to find yourself at any given moment with the peers who agree with you. So what's going to happen is that someone at any given point in the, in their enthusiast cycle is going to, uh, find all of their peers at a similar point. So to them, well, I'm carrying all of this stuff and so are all of my peers. So it makes some amount of sense. It's kind of intuitive to universalize your experience there. Like, well, I've found my way here as have all of these other people who I spend a lot of time with and who are all also, you know, fairly proficient and dedicated. So that means that everything we're doing, someone else can do too. But resisting the urge to universalize your experience when giving advice is how you start to learn to give good advice. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Really is yeah, that like the show title? Yeah. That, I think that's so, the yeah. whole show. With uh, great. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we've been doing this for an hour and a 10 minutes and we've peaked. So we're done. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah. We've hit that point on the curve. It's all down. Right. It's, it's all just non nonsense. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and profanity from here. And pro, yes, more I've, profanity. I'm going to oh, let you guys hear this. I watch in Balderdash. <laughs> this, this is the bit people subscribe for. <laughs> the Balderdash <laughs> is the bit where I run out of facts to edit. 
and things go downhill and everyone just has a really great time. Oh, here we go. Here we go. So John, question for you, because I've seen some of your uh, your magnificent draws. I'm like thinking uh, specifically draws, draws, of your yeah, not not as underpants. That's what I thought, actually. <laughs> I was like, really? You saw that? I've also seen those, I think, in some videos. But Listen, we're, we're the... talking about concealment, so we have to be comfortable sharing these things. Yes. We have to. If you have to be able to talk about people who carry tackle out, tackle in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you did a spectacular draw in the release video for the Enigma. Have they, like, frozen it at, like, a really inopportune time? We'll give them a moment. Maybe he was serious about leaving. While while we're still recording and waiting for them to come back, is that all of us at one point would have gone through this curve that they're talking about. And if I review mine, I went through a curve of having a whole lot of stuff on me, um, carrying as much as I could, experimenting, trying different holsters. And I went through that whole learning curve because the information wasn't easily accessible at the time and the information that was accessible wasn't necessarily suited to me, nor was it good advice if I just sort of looked at it from that perspective. So at the same time, no one's, and I use this very freely, is no one's necessarily wrong unless they're doing something drastically stupid or unsafe or illegal. Uh, but being willing to listen to your peers and other people's circumstances is vital to that growth for you and that other individual. If someone posts a question somewhere that you see it on some sort of social platform, if you have the social integrity to listen to what he's saying, you could learn something just as much as what the original poster did when he asked his question. Absolutely. Everyone's circumstances are going to be different. And literally everyone, even if you're looking at, um, if you compare me and T, we have quite, um, and Gaz, you to a, to a large degree, we have quite, um, we have easy mode carry because yeah. people expect us to carry um, and we we're in environments where, where people expect guns. Most None of our true, bosses yeah. will fire us for carrying a gun. In fact, mine would fire me for not carrying a gun. Gaz's oh, yeah. would fire him for not carrying a gun. And I don't know if anyone pays you any attention, Corn. No, no one pays me any attention. <laughs> so if, if we were to... The internet went that, down, they're busy resetting, sorry. No worries. If we project our circumstances, and I'm not the biggest dude around, but I'm certainly not the smallest dude around, T's a pretty big human. If we were to take the circumstances that Gaz, myself, and T find ourselves in in terms of daily carry, and we were to take our body shapes and sizes, and we were to apply that to someone, Sarah's size, for instance, none of the things we say would work if we spoke in absolutes. If we Got said, it. you have to carry your gun at two o'clock, you have to carry it. No, so that the top of the slide is sort of level with your navel. You have to carry it with a belt with 7.62 Newton meters of force on it. None of that shit would work for her. Because no, the classic, it works for me, it must work for you. Yeah. I mean, if we, if only... we say that you need to move the gun around sort of somewhere between center line and your hip, and you need enough belt tension so that it doesn't like flop forward, but not too much so that you're discom uh, uncomfortable or it's causing pain that's a lot more useful than you must do this. Yeah, it's, it, it's about reality. It's about the, the difference between, and exactly that, my reality, Korn's reality, Gaz's reality are all slightly different. And they're dramatically different from, from the person who works at a bank um, or, or who works at a hospital um, or, or something like that. And it's, 
it it's it's appreciating the what you need or what you can do um, and balancing that with what you need um, and and that can and sometimes it's a compromise if if you work where a mutual friend of all three of or all, all, all three of ours works um, concealment is his primary concern um, you know it it, it he works in a place where he he needs to be concealed above all else. Um, so for for him to now go, well, I I have to carry all of this other gear. Um, it's not going to happen. Uh, it's just it's just not going to happen. While we wait for uh, for John and Zero to come back, um, they did mention Hailstorm is their local distributor. Hailstorm does not necessarily have the stuff that is on the Fulster website available here. However, if you speak to them and you have some specific needs, things like the small buckle kit for the Enigmas for, for ladies or smaller statured individuals, um, they could probably order that for you if you contact Hellstorm and you ask for those items. Um, the items won't necessarily, like I said, be on the shelves at Hellstorm. But get on the waiting list. There is a waiting list for the Enigma. There is a waiting list for the Enigma light bearing. They had some false to pros last time I was there, still in stock. They have some of the, uh, John, you may need to jump in here, but your, your small little EDC medical pouch. Oh, yeah, the pocket emergency wallet. There we go. They had some of those in stock. And like I said, if there's anything else you need that is sort of more special purpose, like small buckle kit, speak to the guys at Hellstorm, get on the list. They can request that that stuff comes in if there's stock available the next time they get an order in from uh, Fullster. And don't necessarily just check the website. Um, I know that would be awesome, but but phone the shop, chat to Bano Arlo, uh, and, and they'll or, or go through if you're in Pretoria, but phone the shop, chat to the guys, and they'll get you sorted out. They, it's, it's a really nice shop. Um, and I, as, I, as Cornet said, last time I was there, they had a couple of pros, I think they might have some SIG ones left if you're sick. Um, I think the full-size Glock ones might be sold out because you've got a clue. Um, I'm, I'm the Glock agent. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, they can always, you know, they, they're going to order the, the, the sort of really popular stuff. And, and Fulsa does some stuff that's not hugely commercially viable to put on your shelves here. So if you want it, Chat to chat to the guys and and they'll get um, they'll get it ordered for you and if they don't tell me and I'll shout at them. Um, John and, and Sarah are back because their American internet failed while our African internet worked. And one <laughs> night we had electricity, so you know we, we're quite we're quite proud of that. Uh, and a roof, no one's strong work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> our internet might have failed, but so far. Our society hasn't, so we're doing. We're oh, doing okay. I don't know if sick, I'd go that far. Sick that's, for, that's fighting talk right there. That's uh, possibly a show title. It's also questionably true. I'm throwing some yeah. huge stones in our super glass houses. Uh, um, <clears throat> I've got two words for we you: president like, and Biden. Um, <laughs> we live like ten minutes from <laughs> where they were. Yeah, you know, like we were watching the smoke from the riots. So. Yeah. Oh, you see, we, we, we know that feeling as well. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, compatriots in our 
burn shopping centers. It, it's generally just warmer here than than in Minnesota. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and and I mean, coming from Philly, you, it's not that much safer than here either. Uh, well, the nope. <clears throat> well, the murder rate is lower, and the number of murders are lower. And when I when I lived in Philadelphia, <laughs> wait for the city <laughs> versus the country. <laughs> Um, well, I, I mean, from Philadelphia to Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, I thought you were talking about Philadelphia of, to, to South Africa. Okay, never mind. When, when, I, when I lived in Philadelphia, about 20, about 30 yards from my back door was the site of at least one homicide while I lived at that house. Um, yeah, I, I lived in, in a neighborhood that the officers in that district referred to as the box because it's where all the trouble was. Um, and now that I live in Minnesota, 30 yards from my back door is a chicken coop and no murders, which is aside from the ones that we perpetrate against the chickens periodically. I have a very important question though, Mr. Hauptman. Since you moved out of Philadelphia, has that neighborhood's crime rate gone up or down? (laughs) (laughs) Has the box moved with you? (laughs) I haven't checked because that's not my fucking problem. It may be your fault, but it's not your problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's kind of the way I like to keep everything. Yeah. That's, that's I've the moved level out of liability. has gone down. It's a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once uh, taking a, a catching some trains in Philadelphia. Um, and the train station was was marvelous. Uh, oh, yeah. And we, we later went to a course, and one of the guys I met was a he was a former Philly cop who was some sort of fed. And he was like, you went where? He says, next time you fucking phone me and I will collect you and drive you around. And then told me about someone who'd been murdered like right by the station. It's a very pretty building. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's also in West Philly. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to New Wales, North Wales. I was going to Guysley. So I had to stop and change over there. And we went through some areas that were uh, hairy. Oh yeah, it's like hello. I'm I'm South African. Arr. I don't have a gun, but arr. I'm South African. I'm just I'm just made of guns. Yeah, this, is, this is fine. We're used to it. Watch out, or I will call you my friend, and you know what happens then. Uh, John, we lost you there when uh, when I asked if uh, there's there's necessarily a trade-off between concealment and access. So that really depends on how you're concealing and how you're built. So, for example, uh, those of you familiar with the Filster Concealment Workshop uh, Facebook group will be uh, familiar with our friend, uh, Rhett Newmeyer, who has been kind of revitalizing um, some deep concealment aspects of this. So we're all very used to saying, well, you have to have full access to the grip of your gun, right? Uh, you have to be able to get a full firing grip on your gun. You can't have anything impeding that. And historically, that has been totally true. If your gun is tethered to your belt in a way that uh, your belt can't get out of the way of how it's obstructing your grip, right? If, if you wear your gun really low in your waistband and you've coupled your gun to your belt, the belt will never get out of the way of your grip. Or if you have your gun stuffed into an elastic pouch, of some kind, the elastic will never get out of the way of your grip. 
when we start talking about systems like the Enigma, where the thing that's holding your gun is completely and totally divorced from all of your clothing, you can start getting into uh, questioning some of the common wisdom about deploying a gun, right? So can I potentially carry my gun completely below the waistband? And still, so like, what's our standard for saying, okay, well, this is uh, an appropriate amount of time to uh, access my gun. Like, generally speaking, we say, okay, if you can do a, a second and a half draw to an A zone hit, that's proficient. So anything that, uh, if I can, for example, carry my gun totally below the waistband and have a 1.2 second draw to first shot, how much compromise is that? Well, I mean, it's a little more compromised than 0.0, you know, than 0.9, but how much more concealment do you get out of that? And so one of, one of the things we talk about is, you know, uh, the kind of draw times that we can measure, right? So we, we call, you know, we assess the time from the beep to the, to the shot, right? When we start talking about um, the defensive use of a firearm, we need to start thinking about time that's not on the timer. When we start looking at force on force training and scenarios, especially, you know, when you get into uh, grappling or kind of, you know, much more close encounters, timing becomes more important than time. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a fast draw. Having a fast draw allows you to have a slow draw and it gives you options. But invisibility also gives you options too. Invisibility gives you time that's not being measured on a timer, potentially. Right. We don't really that's it's that's a little bit fuzzier. That's hard to talk about and hard to describe. But when you're in a situation where you're making decisions, then the the array of options uh, that exist and the amount of timing choices that you have available to you prior to the beep becomes really significant. Right. Um, when I'm shooting on a shot timer. All of my decisions have already been made. I know that when the beep goes off, I'm going to draw the gun and execute a string of fire at a target that's not moving, right? So, but those are all totally fixed variables and it's easy to, it's 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 the lowest variable way to track performance. So I could do something like say, okay, I'm gonna <clears throat> carry a not concealed gun and shave a 10th of a second off of this. And then I can see what a cover garment adds to that. And then I can see what a really deep concealed uh, method of carry changes there. But what we're not measuring is what happens around that. So to, to some degree, the deeper you carry your gun, it's going to take a little longer to get it out. But I'm also seeing people who are capable of drawing a gun from below their waistband as fast as it takes someone to operate the hood and the ALS on a safari land. So it's still coming in right at the, you know, one, one second to 1.3 second mark for like really high levels of proficiency. So that's exactly where I was trying to get with this. It's not necessarily a trade-off in access. You, you will probably be slower than you could be from an outside the waistband you know, gun bucket without right. needing to defeat ALS. Um, but you're not necessarily going from, I print terribly because this gives me a one and a half second draw. You're not necessarily going to a three or four second draw because you can now hide your gun in a proper holster that is set up for you. You may find that you, you, you are equal in terms of time, or you might even be quicker in something that's, that's correctly set up. You're not Correct. necessarily making 
massive trades in accessibility for concealability in normal circumstances. There will be people where concealability is above absolutely everything else. And, you know, you, you can live with three-second access time because at least you have a gun. Yeah, I mean... Oh, so, oh, so, sorry. I've, I've, I, I know people who have done things like carry a J-frame in their underwear in certain places because there's the potential for them to get taken hostage at a roadblock and they need to have a gun on them in a way that is not detectable in the moment that they are taken from one car and placed in the hostage taker's car. And they would rather have a slow access to that J-frame so they can kill the people in the car who are kidnapping them, then it, then it makes sense for them to uh, have faster access to it. So yeah. there, there is a point, of, but you know, that's also not a necessarily diminishing return for you. That's, you know, there's, there's no diminishing returns in having a gun that's undetectable to your kidnappers. Um, however, when you're talking about the, the, when we talk about deep concealment, there's a little bit of a range, right? So, uh, one of the things that, that, uh, is not universalized is what people mean when they say concealed. <clears throat> I go by the definition of concealment that uh, describes the gun being hidden to the degree that someone would have to violate normal social boundaries in order to, de to detect your gun. They would either have to lay hands on you or they would have to stare at you for longer than is culturally or contextually appropriate, right? Um, that is to say, in order for your gun to be detected, the effort to detect your gun would have to be detectable to you. That's how you know it's concealed. Right. So, for example, um, every culture is a little bit different, but you know exactly how long you can stare at someone before you risk being detected. And so no one ever stares for a really long time. We'll take short glances. Um, and we also know that continued staring after that is a sign of hostility or aggression. And, and that's different in other countries. But this is the context that I operate in. And also people touching you inappropriate, t people touching you without your permission is culturally inappropriate as well. So for someone to detect my gun, they would either have to lay their hands on me or they would have to stare at me long enough that it goes past the kind of internal clock that both they and I have for how long it's normal to look at another person in public. So to get to that level of concealment, right? So like... Uh, if you're printing really badly, you might be concealed insofar as you don't stick out in a crowd, but we're talking about not sticking out in an elevator, right? Um, for to, to get to the level of concealment where uh, to detect your gun would require someone visibly and obviously violating social boundaries, you don't actually get into the realm of significant performance compromise, yep. right? You can get to the point where someone ha can only detect your gun by making overt efforts to do so and still be in like a sub-second draw, right? Now, you might occasionally have to make little adjustments depending on how you draw that gun, um, depending on... If, if you've already got a sub-second draw with a decent concealment holster and you move into something that 
conceals your gun even better. As long as you're not having to move additional clothing out of the way to access your gun, your draw time is going to be roughly the same. You're going to have to do all this. You know, if, if you're the kind of person who's got 0.9 draw every time, you know what it takes to be efficient. So when you make the transition to something that's going to maybe press the gun a little bit deeper into your body or cause it to conform to you a little bit more, you're going to start looking for those little efficiencies. You might not necessarily get your thumb between your slide and your body anymore when you draw. You might move to like a claw grip where your uh, thumb's over the back plate and then your grip is complete later in the presentation. You might find yourself making little accommodations like that, but you're not going to suddenly go, oh, well, I've been this, you know, whiz bang, you know, sub-second draw time bad motherfucker to someone who's like fumbling around trying to get it out in two and a half seconds. You're still there. Now, once you start doing things like carrying your gun below your waistband, you're going to have to start making additional considerations, but all of the efficiency is still there depending on what kind of system you're using. Uh, and it's really not that hard um, to just test it with a timer. So, you know, yeah. it's even, even if you don't own a shot timer, there's apps that you can use um, that are reasonably accurate for this purpose. Um, so, yeah, you know, set up hard time and see if you can beat it. And if not, make adjustments. If if so, then cool. Yeah. And w what that part time is, is going to be a little bit different for everybody too. Um, and really like if you don't have the gun in your hand, anything after that is a compromise. So deciding where you want to be on that spectrum, um, there's, there's validity to that anywhere on the spectrum. The, the only thing that I, it's, it's one of those things where depending on the audience, I will say different things, but to, talking to a higher level audience, like, yeah, choose where you want to be on that spectrum. But if you're talking to a lower level audience where their draw is two seconds to start with, uh, yeah, maybe at that point, you don't want to start adding layers and adding complexity to the draw until you get some of your efficiency issues sorted out. Um, so it's like, yeah, I, I'm not saying this as universal advice for everyone. Um, I'm saying this as advice for someone who is high enough level to understand that their draw time matters and have a way of measuring it. Yeah, I think that's true. You know, if if you have a one second draw time, adding a layer of concealment depth isn't going to, uh, <clears throat> it scales differently. If you've got a three second draw time, carrying your gun below your waistband is going to get you into a five and a half second draw time. If you've got a one second draw time, uh, carrying your gun below your waistband is going to get you to 1.4, maybe, if you're not very practiced at it. Stuff like that, you know? So, like, it's going to have a different effect at, a, at every different level. I think also related to that, there's, there's a degree of sort of better is the enemy of good enough. Um, mm. And, and you yeah, hit on it true. earlier. You, you might have shitty concealment and a 0.8 draw, uh, and you might have proper concealment and, and a one and a half or even a two-second draw. But the shitty concealment may very well lead to to the the grocery store robber squaring you in the back of the melon when you're not looking, as opposed to you getting to do that draw. Because people forget that, you know. The and we hit on it earlier that you know the whole um, I never get made. And the analogy I always say to people is, how often do you tell strangers that their breath smells? Um, people tell me all the time, I never get made, and I'm. I spot guns all the time. I don't walk up to strangers in supermarkets with guns and say, sunshine, I can see your gun. Uh, and, and I think people forget that. So if you, you, there's going to be a compromise, you know, otherwise I'd walk around in my, in my CR speed sort of IPSC rig. Um, yeah. But it's, 
it's exa- what part of the compromise is worth it to you? For, for me, concealment's a big thing and, and not because of my work environment. My customers expect me to be carrying a gun. Um, my boss expects me to be carrying a gun. I, d- I don't work in an environment where carrying a gun is problematic. I don't, I don't work in a hospital or a, um, or a bank or anything like that. Um, but I don't want someone, I also don't want someone immediately clocking me as someone with a gun. And in, in my case, being a normal size human, I'm already more noticeable than than all of you, smaller than normal size humans. Uh, <laughs> that's that's good. I want to touch on that later, but keep going, please. <laughs> well, I was so, I was gonna uh, yeah. uh, I, I was gonna say that uh, if you're detectable, then you're selectable. That's yes. kind of the 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 cute little rhyme that we we use for that. And if if your gun is completely concealed, then you are the only person who dis- who makes the decision of when that gun becomes relevant to anything at all. Yeah, and, and that might sorry. No, no, you first. Yeah, I, I already interrupted you once. <laughs> that might even give the option of not drawing the gun, and I think people yes. don't always think of that. It yes. it may very well be a case of well, I'm going to have to you know pull out my blaster and 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 burn this motherfucker down. Um, but it might very well be a case of I'm going to quietly slink off through the butchery in the supermarket um, and not get involved because no one suspected I had a gun. Uh, and, and I think gun people in general don't, we often don't think of that because it, it, in, our, in the cartoon in our head, we're the hero who, who skins that smoke wagon, burns him to the ground, and everyone goes, oh, my God, you're so awesome. Um, and... You know, if you can, if you can sneak out the back, uh, sometimes that's that's winning at life too. A hundred percent, I could not agree more. And I know people get a little wound up about that because it doesn't feel to them like it's the honorable good guy thing to do. But if it makes you feel any better, uh, imagine grabbing your child and slipping out the back door with your child, or you know, slipping out the back door to go home and provide for your child or your family or whatever your responsibilities in life are. Uh, it's a lot bigger than just you it, for most of us. Yeah, I'm yeah. not I'm not trying to get voluntold to shoot someone. Yeah, right. Yeah. But uh, you said something that I think I, I also want to touch on this because this is such a good point that everybody misses. Yes, you made a good point, Turk. Write this down. We're on the wrong show. So no, what you said was you stand out anyway being a normal size human in a sea of shrimps. So that's something that people don't take into consideration when they talk about concealment. And it's a huge pet peeve for me uh, because I also stand out for a number of different reasons in the environment that I'm in. Like there just aren't a lot of brown folks. And so if you are a brown person in a white environment, everybody's already staring at you. So all of the gray man stuff that is kind of par for the course in, you know, gun guy lore doesn't work. It doesn't work. Your concealment just has to be mechanically better, period. What do you mean it doesn't work? Oh, I'm you wearing mean- my Solomons. I'm wearing my 5'11 <laughs> cargo pants. <laughs> I'm wearing a paracord bracelet. <laughs> I'm wearing a paracord bracelet. <laughs> I mean, You're- what do you mean I don't blend in? I mean, you've got the entire uniform on. So I think that means you're allowed to open carry if you're in uniform. Right. At, at, at some point, how you're dressed is open carry. <laughs> you know, it, it's something I've joked about before that 
you know, I go, I go to Europe. Back back in the before times when we, we could go places, um, I go to Europe a couple of times a year for, for work. Um, and you can always spot Americans in Europe. Um, they're louder, sorry. Um, and the only people who wear fucking baseball caps with suits, <laughs> which should be a crime punishable by death. Um, That's fair. But it, it, and it's a silly example, but it, I, I've been all over the world and, and, you, and, and I'm not being anti-American, um, but I've been all over the world and it's surprising how often you're in places and you see a dude and you go, yeah, he's an American. And then he opens his mouth and you can hear he's an American from often from across the train station. Um, and, and they're sending all sorts of signals, which may not necessarily be signals they, they want to send. Um, you know, in, in some places in, in, in Europe, people aren't going to attack you for it, but you're not necessarily going to get the best of the treatment. Um, but, and and I'll, I'll be honest, I've been known when I speak English in places to go, no, I'm, I'm South African, not American, and people are nicer to me. Um, but but people don't always realize that the signals they're sending off. And yeah, if, if you look different to, to everyone around you, you're already noticeable um, and people are going to pay more attention to you. You know, if 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 you're a normal size like me or, or you're in in sort of Minnesota and you're not the same color as the snow, um, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it you're going to stand out uh, and. Once you, and and we've discussed this on the show. It's an example I've used in the show a couple of times. I never I never forget going into my local supermarket, and a dude walked in and, and I noticed him, but there was nothing super noticeable about noticeable about him. But I noticed it, and then I walked past him again, and I noticed he was wearing desert boots, and that made me look more closely at him. And then I noticed that along with the desert boots was a knife clip in the right front pocket. And and within a minute or two, I'd worked and out where the gun was. Tan Casio G-Shock and exactly, you know, exactly. And it was a dude who was not—he was pretty well concealed. So if he was wearing a pair of sneakers, I, I would not have noticed where his gun was. But but as a result of the entire sort of um, tactical tuxedo, I started looking for a gun, and and I'm not like a criminal in the in the general sense of the term um but <laughs> it's one of those things that that people forget that they, they, they forget that that you're sending out these signals about yourself um jokes aside if if you if you walk past john in a supermarket you would be less likely to look for a gun for the heavily tattooed dude who doesn't look like a gun guy um you're probably i mean it's the ultimate muck um, because you're going to look at the arms, not at the waistband. Um, well, I've, I've noticed that I get completely different reactions everywhere. Mm. When I when I lived in Philadelphia, I was under-tattooed for my peer group. You know, everywhere I went, uh, you know, uh, go out to the bar, go hang out. You know, I don't have hand or neck tattoos, which means that, like, <laughs> it, you know, it... it, it dive bars in South Philly are just like full to the ceiling with guys who look like me. Like this is just normal for where I'm from, but I go to Washington DC or, uh, Mexico or Minnesota, Minnesota, <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> and, and anywhere South. that's nicer than a dive bar in South Philly. And I, I'm just like, especially, you know, uh, I've, 
places like uh you know uh mexico the caribbean um places like that you stand out really conspicuously and so i get a lot of extra attention but at the same time it's like you know i could do the same thing if i wore a monocle right (laughs) (laughs) but no the the point though pictures (laughs) people talk a lot about how printing doesn't matter because nobody's paying attention and nobody notices you they're all looking at their phones so nobody's going to notice you well if your concealment strategy relies on luck then it's just not a good concealment strategy well, it's also not advice, especially right? especially if you find yourself in a situation where your immutable physical characteristics uh, or your apparel or anything about you sends out signals that tells other people to pay more attention to you so a lot okay. of these guys like printing doesn't matter but they're they're sending out all these signals that tell people <laughs> you know hey look at me examine me more closely than you would and it matters Imagine for a second the internet goes down where you are, as happened tonight in uh, the U.S. and not in South Africa for once. (laughs) The whole of the U.S. went out. America had no internet. I'm going to have so many customers complain. So imagine the internet goes off for a couple of minutes and everyone stops looking at their phone. Um, What now? (laughs) Right, right. no, No one has ever shot at me while looking at their phone. Um, <laughs> that's a fair point <laughs> uh you know and, and it's by the same token if you went into that that philly dive bar um with a pastel sweater thrown over your shoulders um i'm thinking in pictures again john pastel sweater monocle i think you should rock that um but you you would stick out equally it's it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah. kind of looking the part if, if if you're running around in seattle no one's going to pay much too much attention to you wearing hiking boots and uh, you know, a, a Solomon jacket or whatever. Right. Um, your your your, your uh, pastel range of colors from the uh, Arcteryx catalog. <laughs> <laughs> this is dead bird in puce. Um, <laughs> they make it. We just never shop for it. <laughs> I live in Africa. I I can't afford Arcteryx. Um, <laughs> and they won't send it here. <laughs> Probably not. Uh. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like what we talked about earlier about universalizing your experience, right? Uh, people say, well, how do, how do I get better concealment, right? How do, how do I make my gun conceal better? And when someone says, oh, nobody, no, nobody's noticed, nobody's going to notice that you're printing. First of all, that isn't advice about how to conceal better. And second, that's an additional universalization of what you think your experience is. I mean, like, I, can't, I have never once told a stranger in public that their fly is open. Have you, have you? No, because it's not or, normal. Or, or, or that their shoes untied, or that, or that their shirt is off a button, or that they've got you know that they've got toilet paper stuck to their shoe. It's just, that's their fucking problem. I'm not here to talk mm-hmm. to strangers. I'm trying to get my groceries and go home and not interact with anybody. And that's most of what everyone's doing. I, I suspect, but I could be universalizing that. <laughs> everyone's just desperate to have a, a chat. Right? I think you might be universalizing your misanthropy. Right. <laughs> that's a safe bet, though. <laughs> Means right, I, right. I never wind up talking to anyone who doesn't want to get talked to. Uh, but, you know, bet on no one noticing that's not advice for how to conceal better yeah and you know everybody's got a standard of concealment that is appropriate for their circumstances so if you were to say to me printing doesn't matter 
I would say, yes, you are correct. Printing doesn't matter. Clearly, because you think that, your circumstances have shown you that that is true for you. Uh, and then if you look at somebody else who say they work in a non-permissive environment, uh, they lose their job, their career, their home, uh, their marriage, if they get made, printing matters for them. So if that same person says, well, printing is really important, I'll say, yes, you are correct. And it does matter for you. And, you know, the thing that bothers me about some of these conversations that we have kind of repetitively <laughs> is, you know, if somebody asks you for help concealing to their standard, just don't tell them their standard is wrong. Help them to do what they want to do or, you know, what are you really posting for? Because uh, if you're going to try to convince the guy who's going to lose his job and his family that printing doesn't matter, that's really unfair because it does matter for him. Um, you know, but if if you have advice that can actually help him conceal to that level, then cool. No, you're in place because if you... Can't, sorry, T, if you can't help them, you should be, I don't want to say intelligent enough, but you, you should take into consideration that you, self-aware, you don't have the necessary experience and you should be able to go, you know, I've worked, from my, I've worked from my home <laughs> office for 11 years. This is not new to me. I carry a Benelli M2 everywhere I go because everywhere I go is in my house. Um I can't really help you with your deep concealment requirements because and I don't do toilet that. gremlins have a coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting for the toaster to laugh because it's getting fucking buckshot. <laughs> oh, I, I could just picture Lauren's face if you did that. <laughs> well, I would, I would die immediately because she would murder me. But <laughs> but it'd be worth it. <laughs> that, I think it was something we, we hit on when you guys were 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 um, offline. Um, Gaz, Kuna, and I will have a friend who, who works in an environment where concealment is his primary sort of um, concern. No, nothing else comes close because if he gets made, um, he could end up in prison. Um, and it, it's a case of f to turn around and go, well, you know, you're, you're, you're an idiot and you're going to get killed in the streets. Um, and it ties into to that sort of classic, if you've got more gear than me, you're paranoid. And if you've got less gear than me, you're a sheep who's just going to die. Uh, but I've got just the right amount of gear. Um, yes. <laughs> it's, like, it's like driving. Everyone driving faster than me is a dangerous yeah. idiot. And everyone driving slower than me shouldn't have a driver's license. <laughs> oh, so you've seen me drive. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That was not uh, a joke. <laughs> Miss Daisy fuck over you, there. Fucking fuck. I do. I drive like an old lady. Um, <laughs> guys, I th we've stolen a lot of your time, and, and I really appreciate um, the, the time you've spent with us. Uh, hopefully, we can do this again if uh, if you guys are keen, because I think it, we've, we've covered a hell of a lot in this show. Um, but I also... Moved from pet peeve to pet peeve and ranted on a number of topics. So right. we're, we're happy to do that anytime. Now that the formalities are out of the way. We've got pet peeves for days. <laughs> we could make a whole Welcome show to Welcome those. to the Gun Show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this this has been a year of us ranting at people because, ha, you can't talk back at us. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> but, but we really appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to chat to us. I think we've covered a hell of a lot of, of useful info. And, and I really hope our listeners take the time to um, go into the website, 
go onto the um, your YouTube channel, the the Philly, Philly EDC channel, and and understand this is not an ad for Forster Holsters. I mean, buy them; they're awesome. But um, I've seen John recommend other brands. Um, he he makes holsters for Glocks and some other shit, um, but he doesn't make holsters for 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 Berettas like he should. Um, so or 1911, you know, if you've got a talk about. No one gives a fuck about 1911s, corn. Um, so it's <laughs> it's 2021. So, um, See, the Glock guy so doesn't have not... to say anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Guys is like smiling in Glock 17. Um, <laughs> but this isn't intended to be a, a, an an advert so much as as a concept. Um, you know, Forster make great holsters. Um, there are other people who make great holsters as well. Really, sorry guys. Um, but no one makes anything quite like the Enigma. Uh, it's not a belly band. Um, it's not a silly little flippery or what? What? What's it? The gimmick? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it it really is, and 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 here it's a hell of a lot of money um, because everything is a hell of a lot of money. There's a reason you can't buy them secondhand. Um, I've I've yet to see a secondhand Enigma for sale here. Uh, and that's often a, a really good sign. Um, and and the ones I've seen advertised overseas, it's generally going for what you'd pay for a new one. I, I mean, we're, we're ignoring scalpers, but oh, it's yeah. not it's not a it's not a it's not a gimmick. It's it 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 really is a it it adds something else. Um, so look look at these resources. Um, the Filster Concealment um, page on Facebook has a lot of really good info and it's got a lot of really good info for a variety of people. Um, you don't have to look like Captain America um, to get advice there. Um, there's all no, sorts there's of people. Everything, every body sh type, shape, pregnant women, amputees, uh, whatever your physical state is, there's someone in the- It's like Pornhub. Yeah, I mean, we've got Captain America too. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Uh, <laughs> he probably won't listen to this. Uh, <laughs> but thanks so much for your time, guys. We really well, appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having time. us. Um, thank you. And, uh, we would be very keen to to have you on again sometime if uh, if you're bored and want to slam it. Um, oh, no, for ab absolutely. At, at some point in the fairly near future, we will have like solved all of our production backlog issues and um the folks over at hailstorm will be uh uh much better supplied with uh, enigmas and then we can come back and have like a much more focused discussion about that awesome, awesome. Minnesota yeah. goodbyeing him oh yeah okay he's, he's trying to wrap it up oh yeah <laughs> no, no 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 i i wanted you to uh to have some final thoughts there i mean it our, our wrap-up takes a little bit of time so don't worry um <laughs> there's still alcohol in this bottle yeah there is a Actually, no, it's done. Um, it's done in my glass, but I can no, fill it back up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I just, I am trying to be respectful of your guys' time, but I'd like to do a, an Enigma-specific show because we didn't really discuss it as much as I would have liked here, but I think we, we hit on some really good concepts. Um, yeah, we'll do that as soon as it won't hurt everyone's feelings that they can't get one. <laughs> and don't don't wait for that point to come and then go to Hellstorm and say, where's mine? Um, email them like, when you listen to the show, get on the waiting list if you're not on it already, because they will allocate them in the order that you went on the waiting list until that's cleared, and then they'll just sell to the general public. So do that. And and the discount code is fuck off you don't get a discount. Um, 
pretty much. <laughs> Gaz, you want to say your magic? Um, thanks for your time. We appreciate you guys being on the show with us. Um, and in closing, the we I've seen that we've got quite a few new submissions for the drill of the month for July. So thank you to all of those guys who've put those submissions in. Keep them coming in. You you're scraping the the last couple of days of the month. So just keep working well, we at may, it. And... We may have to extend that one a little bit after the fuck show. It was July. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Okay, well, so, we'll extend that one. We'll let you know next time. And then um, to anyone who wants to join the, the honorary club, the, those rules have changed for now. You need to try and get your submissions into that proposal system as soon as you can. Those days are limited again um, after we got the extension. So get those in. Otherwise, thank you very much for all of the support. Thanks for everyone who's listening. If you've got any topic ideas or things that you'd like to discuss, hit us up on Facebook um, or Instagram. And we can take it from there. Thanks, everyone. Later, losers. Thanks for having us. Thank you. <laughs>